What's going on? Abby Wednesday. Pete Callender here. It's the Pete Callender Show. Thanks a lot for hanging out. I appreciate it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If I sound a little weird, uh, I'm playing injured today. I got a had a, a drilling done in one of my teeth last night or yesterday after the program. And uh, so I don't know. It's it, it You keep your mouth open for that long, you know, while they do. They were just fixing. There was like a chip in the tooth or something. And so they were just fixing it up. And they were, they were great. It all went great. Uh, I am here, but I play through injury, uh, unlike some professional sports ball players. But I play through my injuries. So I am here. Also, after I had the um, the filling done yesterday, I then went and uh, I, I covered the county commission meeting. I watched it so you didn't have to. You're welcome. But that also meant, first off, okay, so first of all, I want to give credit where it is due that the county commissioners properly recognized Michael Marsicano. He of the Foundation for the Carolinas, a big philanthropist. He's done a lot of work in Charlotte. I mean, basically, for the last, like, 30 years or so, he has been, like, one of the main influencers for the direction of the city of Charlotte. Uh, and where we are now is directly attributable, good and bad, whatever you think of it. I'm not here to, you know, denigrate the guy. I mean, he's a nice guy, uh, but he is like one of the most influential people in the history of Charlotte. And a couple weeks ago, the county commissioners, uh, I believe they gave him uh, a proclamation because he's retiring. And they gave him a, they may have given him the Order of the Hornet. I forget. It's the, it's like the Longleaf Pine or whatever. They They recognized his efforts, but then they didn't let him speak. They brought him down. They were like, no, we got to keep moving. Got to keep. Or was that the county commission or was that the city council? Now I'm, now I'm doubting myself. Maybe it was the county. Maybe it was the city. They wouldn't let him speak. The county let him speak, and it was worth it. He got emotional. Uh, it, was, uh, it, it was poignant. He talked about his dad working two jobs to put him through college and all this. Um, and so kudos to the county commissioners for recognizing uh, Michael Marsicano and his contributions to uh, to Charlotte and to Mecklenburg County over uh, the past few decades. And so, uh, and I, I, I wish him all the best in his retirement as well. Okay, now, <laughs> now I'm going to have to uh, examine the big news out of the, uh, out of the meeting last night, which was <clears throat> the, uh, the way forward. Because it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a leftist uh, policy approach if it didn't have the word forward in it. Right, the rallying cry of leftism for a century forward. This is the way forward on reducing crime by, uh, I want to say, what was it, 10%, I think is the goal? Yeah, 10% within the next five years. And they are calling this ambitious. This is an ambitious goal. 10% in five years. They called it lofty and aspirational for a 10% reduction in five years. So that would be a 2% reduction each year. And of course, it's a five-year plan. Of course, it would be a five-year plan. There are always five-year plans, right? Mecklenburg County, are they still running on a re-upped five-year wipeout poverty plan or the WAP, the WOP wipeout poverty? Are they still doing that or do they rename that thing? Because that's been around for like 20 years. That was a five-year plan to wipe out poverty. It hasn't, it hasn't wiped out poverty. 
So then they re-upped it for another five years. And at that point, they acknowledged, look, look, this is, you know, lofty, aspirational, uh, you know, we recognize we haven't wiped it out. So maybe they did a rebrand since I've been away. I haven't gone to look. But this way forward, um, it's a little more open-ended, right? Open-ended in that uh, a way forward, you don't have to rename that thing after the five years are up. And if it doesn't reduce the crime by 10% in five years, you can re-up it in five years, and it's still the way forward, right? Now, to be fair, they define violence as um, they, they, they call this a public health issue. Violence is a public health issue, and public health is rooted in prevention. So therefore, this is going to be about prevention. They're going to reduce crime by preventing crime. Okay, I'm with you so far. Makes sense, right? You want to prevent the crime before it happens. This way, you have fewer victims. I think it makes sense. The health approach, according to WBTV's report, the health approach is key, knowing that crime, poverty, and lack of access often go hand in hand. Crime, poverty, and lack of access. I'm not actually sure that's true. I'm not actually sure that's true. Because uh, you can have a poor society that doesn't engage in rampant lawlessness. Now, that's not to say that poverty doesn't uh, have some uh, overlap, you know, like a like you got a Venn diagram, you know, the two circles, and there's an overlap in the middle, and maybe there's some connection there, but lack of access, I'm not sure what that's about, lack of access to what? To capital? To startups, like, oh, I was going to do my own business, but I can't get the startup capital because I don't have access to capital, and so therefore I'm going to go murder somebody. But I'm, I'm not sure, I mean, because there is access to education, right, through CMS. So what what access are we talking about? They say they hope to identify these issues, and then that will lead to safer neighborhoods for everyone. County leaders were presented with The Way Forward, a five-year strategic plan to curb the rising violence and drop homicide and gun-related assaults by 10% in five years. It has five areas of focus. Okay, here are the five areas. Number one, community engagement. Because, of course, I mean, you got to have community engagement. I'm pretty sure we're going to throw the word stakeholders in there somewhere because you have to. If you've got community and engagement, usually stakeholders is that's part of that uh, that's part of that branding as well. All right, so that's the first uh, area of focus. Second area of focus: support for youth and families. Well, who could be against that? Yes, let's support youth. Now, what does that support look like? I'm not sure. We're, we'll identify some of that, you know, in the over the course of the way forward. But support for the youths and the families is good. Economic opportunities is the third area of focus. Economic opportunities. Fourth, government collaboration. And uh, the fifth, safer communities. And this is the one I have the most problem with. This is like defining a word by using the word in the definition. 
You say you're going to have five areas of focus to reduce violent crime, and one of the areas of focus is safer communities. Wouldn't that be the result of the reduction in crime? What am I missing here? I'm sure there's a lot. I'm not an expert. They say over 400 community members are involved. That includes some grassroots organizations already on the ground. The plan has the beginning uh, fiscal year. The plan has the beginning. I guess it's set to begin uh, fiscal year 2023. All right. So I have some audio from the meeting last night. And Vilma Leak. I'm just going to stop right there. Vilma Leak. I've got some audio. Vilma Leak. All right. Stick around. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. Hey, a reminder, tomorrow night, it's WBT's Talktoberfest, presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park. That's right, every Thursday at 8 o'clock on WBT's Facebook page. We do a FaceTube, Facebook Live feed. And uh, this week it's going to be Mark Garrison and Brett Jensen. So uh, I'll be hanging out in the comments section, too, you know. Shooting spitballs and such. No, I'm kidding. But uh, but no, it's it's a lot of fun. We talk about our favorite foods and such while they're talking about other things. We try to distract them. <laughs> so if you want to come hang out, <clears throat> we're talking about uh, all of the current events of the day, and you can ask them questions. It's a lot of fun. The Talktoberfest continues uh, tomorrow night at eight o'clock on WBT's Facebook page. All right, so. Let me start with this audio clip, a couple of them actually, from Tracy Campbell. She leads Mecklenburg County's Office of Violence Prevention. Now, I I need to say this. I am not opposed to the plan. I am not objecting to the effort. I want everybody to live in safe neighborhoods. I don't want people victimized. I don't want people hurting others and taking their stuff. Right? I am libertarian. Not a libertarian, I am libertarian. I am a liberty-loving person. And these are the basic rules for a society. You don't hurt people and you don't take their stuff, right? It's pretty simple. But apparently, too simple for a lot of people to violate just those two simple rules, right? I don't understand it, but there are just people that do not want to follow the rules. And... Uh, so you got to have some sort of way to deal with those people, the wolves, if you will, right? The wolves versus the sheep dogs versus the sheep. And well, not versus, although the sheep dogs are versus. Well, and the wolves are versus the sheep too, I guess. Well, I didn't mean to cast it in those sort of adversarial uh, forms, but I guess that is true, right? You've got some some bad people. They do bad things. They are the wolves in the society. And you can deny that all you would like, but that is not reality. And I start to wonder if the approach of forgiving and showing mercy and and all of the seemingly current approach to crime fighting nowadays, and I'm wondering if it's actually creating more wolves. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not an expert, once again. So here's Tracy Campbell. She leads the Office of Violence Prote- uh, Prevention rather, at uh, Mecklenburg County. And she explains, uh, just by way of sort of data, who's getting killed and who is doing the killing. 
We see that the majority of people that are considered homicide victims and suspects fall between the ages of 18 and 34. One of the things that's most concerning is if we look at homicide suspects is that we see an uptick in that 15 to 17 year old range with the homicide suspects. That leads us to believe that we need to be working upstream with younger adults, younger people um, to address this issue. If we look at race with homicide victims and suspects, we see overwhelmingly 81.4% are black and nearly 90% of those homicide victims and suspects were male. So who's most impacted in Charlotte Mecklenburg area? Young black males. I know this is shocking, right? You, Yeah. I've got the data. And so they look at uh, homicide victims. <clears throat> and again, this is from 2015 to 2020. And the vast majority of the people that are homicide victims are between the ages of 15 to 44, which makes sense because that makes up a big popu- a big chunk of the population. But that 18 to 24-year-old co- uh, cohort and the 25 to 34-year-old cohort, those are the biggest cohorts, so 18 to 34. And then you got 35 to 44, 45 to 54, and then 15 to 17-year-olds. Now, by way of suspects, 15 to 17-year-olds, she is correct. You see more suspects now in that age demographic, and you've got the vast majority of the suspects are in the 18 to 24-year-old cohort, followed by the 25 to 34-year-old cohort. But the third cohort is the 15 to 17-year-olds. So this actually speaks to gun violence statistics. And anybody who has followed the the Second Amendment debates, anybody who's followed gun control debates for a long time, you know what I'm about to tell you, right? When we talk about gun violence, there are different types of gun violence, and the ways to approach them are going to necessarily be different. They have to be. The vast majority of gun deaths are suicides. That, that requires a completely different response than the, uh, the second largest, which is gang violence, street crime, those types of, you know, criminal activity, which also requires a different approach than uh, domestic violence. Those are the three biggest categories of, uh, uh, of gun violence, suicides, street violence, and domestic violence usually between husband and wife, family members. Black men ages 18 to 34 are the most at risk to be homicide victims and homicide suspects. 81.4% of homicide victims and suspects are African American. 81.4%. Another 7.9% are Hispanic. This is, again, lumping them both in together, uh, suspects and victims. And keep in mind, the vast majority of violent crime, particularly murders, happens intra-racially. So white on white, black on black, Hispanic on Hispanic, Asian on Asian. People tend to victimize, the criminals tend to victimize within their own racial cohort. So when you, uh, when you collect the data and you say victims and suspects, 81.4% of them are black, 
7.9% are Hispanic. So that's now over 90%. Over 90% are black or Hispanic, but the vast majority black. Then there's an unknown number at 5.7%. And whites come in as victims and suspects lumped together at 4.8%. And then Asians at 03 right? 90% of uh, homicide victims and suspects were males. Not surprising either. It's almost like there's something about men that make us, I don't know, more violent or more likely to be victimized by violence or something. I don't know what it might be. I don't know. I'll think on that for a moment. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Last night at the Mecklenburg County Commissioner's meeting, we got a, uh, a look at the way forward. This is the crime prevention plan. County commissioners began, and by the way, they, they pointed out also during the meeting last night that um, the violence interruption effort, that was a county initiative, but they partnered with CMPD and they made a point like, you know, Charlotte gets all of the credit for the violence interruption effort, but, you know, that was, that was funding or whatever. For, it was our initiative. Okay, whatever. It's a collaboration. Fine. Because gun-related assaults in Charlotte, and and this is just looking at a data set that goes from 2015 to 2020, okay? So five years. Because they had data from last year, but it wasn't complete, so they just left it out. So 2015 to 2020. Gun-related assaults in Charlotte start off five years prior at about 2,200, Actually, it's like 2,279. That stays level through the next year, 2016. It then goes up a little bit to like 2,500, then goes up by another 100 or so, then goes from like 2,700 up to over 3,000, and now it's at 4,400. In 2020, there were 4,405 gun-related assaults in Charlotte. That was an increase of 45% over the prior year, which saw a 13% rise over the year before that. So it's been going up. At an increasing rate. Homicide counts. In 2015, there were 64. Then there were 81. Then there were 91. Then there were 77. And then there was 105. And then there was 126. So those last two years saw a 36% increase and then a 20% increase on top of that. They also looked at the areas of Charlotte where the crimes were occurring, and they compared that to neighborhood planning areas with lowest income. And they say most of the lowest income areas are having the most amount of homicides. But they say violence impacts Mecklenburg County residents, uh, the entire uh, population, uh, the entire citizenry. And that is true. I do agree with that. So this is not just some sort of Republican talking point that's out there that crime is on the rise. This is from the county's own violence prevention effort, Office of Violence Prevention, the way forward. Next up, again, this is Tracy Campbell. 
the head of the Office of Violence Protection for Mecklenburg County. If we look at the how and why um, homicides are occurring, again, same time frame, overwhelmingly 87.6% are going to be firearms. That would be the weapon of choice, if you would, for why homicides are occurring in our area during this time frame. Overwhelmingly, we don't know what the reasons are for homicides. So the cause is unknown is 44.2%. But what we do know is that 27.6% are resulting um, from arguments, which leads us to believe we need to be doing work with conflict resolution. How do we help people resolve conflicts without resorting to violence? All right, so she went over the numbers. The biggest category is other slash unknown for the reasons why people kill each other. Other slash unknown, 44%. But knowing that there's like 88% of the crimes of the homicides are committed with with guns, right? It, I mean, that tells me that there probably are knowable reasons. I don't know what the other in that category stands for either. But there have got to be reasons that are known. I'm, I, I guess I'm not really on board with the, oh, we just don't know. Maybe that's because they haven't been adjudicated yet, right? Because of the backlogs with COVID and all of that. I don't know. Maybe they wait for a conviction before they put something into the data set that this is the reason why. But as she said, what they do know is that just under 28% arise from arguments. And so that's where they want to focus on the conflict resolution because of these arguments. Now, what she didn't go into was the other three reasons after that. Drugs. 14.5%. Robbery, 12.4%. So if you add drugs and robbery together, now you're, you're almost at the same level as arguments. And I suspect some of those arguments might actually be related to drugs and robbery. No? It's also interesting that domestic violence is not included in this. Domestic violence homicides, are there just not any? Or would that be under the argument category? Gang... Call, homicide causes 1.4%. Once again, I'm not sure that one neatly fits in. Like if I'm, if you got a gang-related beef, what does that go into? Is that gang or is that argument? Or is that drugs? So now you got the, um, uh, oh, sorry. Those, so that's the data set. Then she says there are three levels of prevention efforts. Primary <clears throat> prevention, we're looking at upstream efforts. We know that this is where we have the greatest um, potential for impact. And so we're looking at those individuals who have higher risk um, and trying to figure out how we can in- increase their protective factors. Those might be mentorship programs, um, youth programs, family support services, those are just some examples of primary prevention. Secondary prevention, we're looking at people that are in the thick of being involved in violent incidences. So those are things like our violence interruption program, which we started here um, with the combination of the, the the collaboration between the city and the the county with our ATV program, so alternatives to violence. Also, our hospital-based violence intervention program, the atrium heads up, um, our interventions that fall into secondary prevention. Tertiary prevention, we're looking at people who have had um, prior criminal um, experience or criminal justice involvement. And so we wanted to make sure that we are closing the gap and reducing recidivism rates by addressing things like restorative justice practices and reentry programs for those individuals. Okay. 
again, I don't have any objection, per se, to any of these efforts. I'm, generally speaking, right, I'm, I'm an all-of-the-above kind of guy. You just keep doing different things, and you're going to reach different people with the different efforts. I'm, I'm on board with it. I like the, I like the idea. You go in for the uh, conflict resolution for the kids, right? Like, hey, this is how you deal with these conflicts without resorting to violence and all this. Parenting uh, efforts, right, uh, directed towards the, the family unit. Uh, you also have the, uh, you know, after you've done your time, let's try to integrate you back into society in a peaceful way. I, I'm, fine with, I'm fine with all of this stuff. But there's one part missing. It's the penalty side. Well, actually, there's two parts missing. The penalty side, but also... What about that big federal effort from a couple of months ago, remember? Think again. Weren't they going to put up some billboards and wasn't that supposed to stop people from committing gun crimes? Because they would see the billboard like they were totally going to go commit a gun crime. And then they saw the billboard that said, think again. And then they were like, "Hmm, maybe I should think again. And then they didn't commit the gun crime. Uh, Maybe it's too early to judge its efficacy. Maybe that's the deal. All right. So now you have the the skeleton of the uh, of the plan. All right. And you can go to the county website. You can see the slideshow they put together and all that. Uh, but you got the, uh, the the rough sketch here. Now we're going to take a listen to the responses from some of the county commissioners, specifically Mark Jarrell and Vilma Leak. And just as a tease, Vilma Leak says uh, that uh, apparently this is Trump's fault. Yeah, so we'll get to that. All righty, so the best, this is an email to Pete at the Pete Callender Show from Joseph. It says, the best way to fight violent crime is to put offenders in jail for a long time. This was demonstrated in the 90s with the crime bill that's now being decried by many on both sides as racist. When 13% of the population commits 60% of all murders, this is the latest 2021 FBI stats, you will not get equitable incarceration rates. You can either have a safe community or live in perpetual violence while getting good boy points from Marxists who want you dead anyway. Um... Yeah, this is part of the problem because it almost seems like the people who are committing the violence are getting a little bit more leeway or not leeway, but understanding. Right there, there, there are all these efforts to understand. Let's figure this out. And it's almost like a pass. The problem is, is when you send that message to enough people a lot of the sheep end up becoming wolves because why do I have to follow the rules? Why should I follow the rules? Right? There is a, there's an aspect, and I've talked about this before, and it, it to some degree came up uh, in, uh, in some of the comments last night from Commissioner Vilma Leek, who was just all over the place. But um, there is a culture of criminality in America that is celebrated. And it's only getting worse. And that's, this is, and it's biracial or it's, it's uh, panracial. It, it, it's in all races. Okay, well, all right, maybe not 
Asians because they commit very few crimes, <laughs> just statistically speaking. So, in, but across the board in American culture, there is this celebration of criminality and it's getting worse. I don't know if a five-year plan or new deal wrapped in golden chains is actually going to be able to fix it. Right? This is sort of the fatal conceit of the planners. That another government program will do it. I saw a write-up on this. Um, where was it? Because it, it was the every time I every time I hear local county commissioners or city councils come up with their five-year plans, I always think of the Creedence song, "Who'll Stop the Rain," and the the lyric is five-year plans and new deals wrapped in golden chains," and that line. Is I'm not sure people realize it. That line, I would consider it to be a limited government, conservative, uh, flavored line, let's say. It is informed by a limited government mindset. Because think about what it's saying. The golden chains, right? You, you, get, you get mesmerized by the, by the glitteriness of the gold. Ooh, look at these gold chains. I'm, oh, I'm going to put these on. Five-year plans, new deals, wrapped in golden chains, which means what? You, you take the chains on willingly. But inevitably, they don't fix the problem, and now you are still chained. Government dependence. Right? It, it speaks to the ineffectiveness of the government help. Right? So I always think of that song whenever I see these plans come out. So next up here, we're going to go to Mark Jarrell, County Commissioner Mark Jarrell. He called this a heavy lift, this way forward plan. He said it's a heavy lift, but it's a critical issue for the community. Um, I'm deeply moved by it because all the data clearly reflects the people that are most adversely impacted look like me with respect not just to race but to gender as well and they look like the chairman and and that is that's just that that's devastating and that's it's not just unique to mecklenburg county but that's all over the country right why Um, we have to get you help right we can't have an office of one to really tackle the seriousness of the, the problem and to reach our goals. So whatever this board has to do to continue to support those recruitment efforts and to properly staff the office so that we can certainly make sure that the community is aware how serious we are about uh, positively contributing to the issue, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're behind you 100%. All right. To the chairman's point, um, this board passed a, um, a resolution declaring um, racism as a public health crisis. Wait, what? Um, and so one what? of the things that we see is that, uh, and I'm, I'm curious to know, within the, the research and our feedback, yeah. uh, we do know that there's a systemic nature. Um, systemic racism plays a, a huge role in creating these barriers what? where people don't get second chances. They don't get opportunities. They don't get access. And so 
I'm curious. I, I didn't see the, the word, and, I, and, and I'm not married to the word systemic racism, but I do believe that it's important that we call out racism. I do believe that it's important that we um, seriously call out those barriers and, and structures that are preventing people from positively moving forward. And so I'm so glad that you all said that this is a living document. This is a document that's going to continuously change and, and, and be updated. All right. So he didn't see the phrase systemic racism in the presentation. So I think he wants to add that in because that's why black people are killing black people. Black young men are killing black young men because of racism. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 